0: John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And hear this, verse 5, as we learned last week, is our focus verse throughout uh, these, these few weeks leading up to Christmas. It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, and this next title is the one we're looking at this week, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him even so amen verse 8 i am the alpha and the omega says the lord god who is and who was and who is to come the almighty this is the word of the lord Uh, Last week we learned about Jesus fulfilling the role of prophet uh, in his work of knowledge, obedience and the proclamation of God's Word. We understand that a prophet, if we look at the relationship of the prophet from God to the people, a prophet is one who spoke uh, for God on behalf of God to the people. So it was as if God was speaking to his people. Now we look to Jesus's work as priest Or we find this as as a representative for the people. So we kind of see the opposite end of it. The priest is the go-between from the people to God. So we're going to look at Jesus' role in that as the mediator. Or we we see Jesus as the bridge. He he bridged the chasm between uh, sinful humanity and his father. He is the go-between, which brings us to our main idea for this morning. Our main idea is this. Jesus fulfills the office of priest, offering true and proper worship to those who place their confidence in his work. At the heart of the role of a priest is true and proper worship. The worship of God is really the focus of the ministry of the priest. The priestly work was to rid that which is unclean. If we could bring it down to one central purpose, the priest was, was ridding what was unclean. In order to do this, to usher the people, God's people, into his presence and uphold proper worship, to worship God. Jesus accomplishes this as the once and for all sacrifice. That's what the Bible teaches. He is, as, as John the Baptist declares, He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the firstborn of the dead. That's what it says in verse 5 of Revelation 1. Insofar as he's not only the perfect sacrifice, but Jesus is also this, he's a living sacrifice. Because in his death, he didn't stay dead, he didn't stay in the grave, but he resurrected from the dead defeating death and sin, and His resurrection proves that He is God. Looking back to verse 5 in Revelation 1, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, we looked at that last week, The firstborn of the dead, we look at that this week, his role as priest and the ruler of kings on earth, hear hear this good news, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. We see that picture of priest again there in that word blood. I want you to focus on, on this word, freedom. Did you see that word freedom? Jesus has set us free through his blood for true and proper worship. He has ensured this, that we are prepared to worship God as we are covered in His perfect righteousness. A New Testament scholar, Ben Glad, defines a priest in this way. He says, priests were charged with ensuring humanity is prepared to worship the one true God. That was what their role was. And this is what Jesus accomplished in his fulfillment of the priesthood. He has prepared us to worship the one true God. And so that brings us to this question. How does Jesus fulfill the office of priest? How did he accomplish this? We're actually going to look to John chapter 2. So as I, as I said last week, we're using Revelation 1, 4-8 as a springboard to get us to our teaching text, which is going to be in John chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles to John 2. We're going to look at 13-22. to 22. The passage should also be on the screen. Sadly, the, the temple in Jerusalem, uh, during the time of Jesus' ministry, it, it sadly represented everything that had gone wrong with humanity. The very place where God would meet his people, the temple, had been turned into this, into a point of sinful pride, extravagance, and exclusion. The temple clearing, or, or as it's titled probably in, in your Bible, the temple cleansing, really gives us a dramatic glimpse into what Jesus' greater ministry will accomplish. So we see in this moment right here what the rest of Jesus' ministry looks like. This is what he came to accomplish, to cleanse, to purify. John two thirteen to 22 says this, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of money changers and overturned their tables. Right, Sweet, meek, mild Jesus. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Say what? The Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. When we think of priest, and when we think of a priest, we think of one who who purifies the people so that they may be prepared to worship God. The temple then in Jerusalem was was the central location for uh, the worship of Yahweh or the one true God. And yet the temple's ministry had been cheapened due to the buying and selling of animals for sacrifice and that occurred we know in the court of Gentiles kind of the outermost court of the temple grounds We also had exorbitant exchange rates applied for a temple tax there was a temple tax that was charged to the people that would come it kind of reminds me like when you go to it for a ball game right and and you come in, and you got metal detectors, and they go through your bags, and they pull out all your water and your foods, and then you go in there, and they're like, hey, a hot dog's going to be $6.50. Like, what? Is it a Hebrew national, at least, right? Is it all beef? If it's all beef, six fifty, okay. I mean, it's still robbery, but at least it's all beef. But no, it's like pork and turkey and whatever other meat they have in that. It's not Okay. We also see within the temple courts an an overall air of of arrogance and pride among the Jewish leadership. Here's the truth. Jesus was not impressed. Jesus was not impressed by the outward beauty of the temple. This was a beautiful building. When people would come down, it was was like a snow-capped mountain. It was white and gleaming and bright. Jesus was not impressed with the outward beauty, but was concerned with this. Jesus was concerned with the condition of what was occurring within its courts and walls. You see, Jesus is more concerned about what's going on in here than what's going on out here. The scene reminds me, as I was reading through this, it reminded me of an interaction between uh, Samuel and and King Saul in, in 1 Samuel, I believe, chapter 15. Samuel says this to Saul. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrificing as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He says this. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Jesus cares about the heart. The outward facade really means little to God. It is that which is, is within that is of utmost importance to our Heavenly Father. We witness in, in the temple cleansing a collision. This is what we see. A collision of God's redemptive plan now. okay, We see, we see the old way is, is passing away. And the new has come in Jesus Christ. Jesus, God in the flesh, is, is now dwelling among His people. God is with His people. His presence is here. And so the need for for the temple, simply put, is fading away because, hear this truth, the true temple of God is among us. It's Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at two points this morning. We see Jesus as, one, cleansing and representing. Cleansing and representing. We, We would expect, possibly, a great roar of applause and celebration as the Messiah cleans out the impurity of the temple and the court of Gentiles and sets it straight for true and proper worship. We could expect an applause as the court of Gentiles was cleared of vendors and opened up as a place of worship and prayer for the nations. That's what the purpose of it was. But this was not the case. Impurity invades the very core of who we are. Looking back to the garden, back in in Genesis chapters 1 to 3, the place where God dwelt with with Adam and Eve in unhindered relationship, we learned last week what the, the, the serpent slithered into the garden. The serpent didn't belong. Adam's job was to keep the garden clean and clear of that which did not belong. Adam failed. He did not cleanse the garden. Israel, now looking forward to Israel, Israel had allowed worldly pride and greed to seep into the temple courts and grip their hearts. The high priest, the Jewish leadership, they should have cleansed the temple of all the sin that had defiled her courts. Israel failed to cleanse the place that was central to the worship of God. Family, Jesus will not stand for this. And where Adam and Israel both failed to cleanse the areas that God charged them to oversee, Jesus does this, he would indeed fulfill his role, as the author of Hebrews says, as the great high priest. He would do what Adam and Israel and all of us have failed to do says this in john chapter 2 verse 15 and making a whip of cords he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables can you imagine for a second imagine this scene the noise right the animals the commotion of transactions the exchange of coins clashing together, it wasn't paper mo- money, it was, it was coins, and coins are loud when you put them together or drop them on the ground. Not to mention uh, the smells, people traveling from afar, animals handling their business in the court of Gentiles. The visual impact, right? You ever go to an amusement park and it's just absolutely packed? And you walk in, it's like, oh, all these people. The visual impact of, of people converging into this area that was to be an area of worship and prayer for the nations. Imagine Jesus walking in and calculated and well thought out. Okay, it says making a whip of cords. That's not something you handle in about five minutes, is it? He he takes in the scene and he walks off to the side and gets the material he needs and starts to braid it together. Jesus is perfect. Jesus did what Israel's priest should have already done. Jesus is weaving it together, the material. He's gonna use to clear out his father's house. He stood with with his whip and, and moved toward action. He drove out that which defiled his father's house, literally cleansing the temple of the defiling pride and sin that had invaded its courts. Cleansing, again, we learned earlier, was the central role in the priesthood. It's the reason why, if you read through the book of Leviticus, it defines all of that which is clean and unclean, right? I know, if... For me, like when I'll do the, the annual reading plan through the Bible in a year, and Leviticus always derails me. Anybody with me on that? Like you get to Leviticus, It's like, man, all of this clean and unclean." And God desired for his people to clearly understand this, the need for pure and undefiled worship. Jesus, God in the flesh, fulfilled what earthly priests did not do. He cleansed the temple. He cleaned it up. Jesus not only cleansed, now we're going to look at that, that second term, but in this moment, in, in the whole of his life, he is representing his people. A priest represents their people. As Adam was, we learned this in, in Genesis, that Adam is our, our representative in the Garden of Eden. We believe in, in original sin. When he sinned, that sin has infected all of humanity. He represented us in that time. Jesus, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 45, Paul calls Jesus the last Adam. And as the last Adam, he represents those whom he has called according to his purpose. Those who will, let's define that, those who place their, their confidence, faith, trust in his perfect life, death, and resurrection. As the Old Testament priest represented the people before God, our representative Jesus came in the flesh, not to make the same kind of sacrifice, but to do this, to offer up the last sacrifice. Himself. And so after clearing the temple, the authorities questioned him. Looking at verses 18 to 22. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. We begin now, family, to understand the ministry of Jesus and the picture that that the temple cleansing gives us of that ministry. Jesus did not come to merely clean up the old way of doing things, but to do away with Him and to usher in a new and better way. Jesus is the new and better way. He is the fulfillment of, of God's redemptive plan. That's what's going on here. The temple was this, family. It was but a foreshadowing of better things to come. Because Jesus, we learn from the Bible, is the temple of God. That's what he's saying right here. As the last Adam, he has indeed represented us in his perfect sinless life, death, and resurrection. As our representative before God, he has done thus; He has covered us in his righteousness, and he's made us new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 In Christ, our old ways are, are passing away, and we are made new in him. He's covered our sin. Just as as He cleansed the temple, He is cleansing us. Hear this. He's cleansing us through the power of His Spirit that has indwelt us and the instruction of His Word. That's what Jesus is doing. He's representing us before the Father. Pleading. He does this. He pleads our innocence not on our merits but on the merits of His righteousness. 1 John 2, 1-2. to two. Man, if these two verses don't, don't get you going, I don't know what will. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And then John says, but if anyone does sin, anybody a sinner in the room? We have, hear these words that are used. We have an advocate with a father. Jesus Christ, hear this word, the righteous. He is the, hear this word, propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What a great priest that we have, family. He is our advocate. He is righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. He and His his death on the cross... Jesus did this, He received the full wrath of God and has averted God's anger towards our sin. He did this, He substituted Himself in our place, representing us. He has brought us into His family and on the basis of His merits, we get the full inheritance of His work. And so therefore, we worship, because of what Jesus did, we worship the Lord unhindered. It's all because of him. He's also doing this, number two, he's interceding and filling. Interceding and filling. Jesus is indeed intervening on behalf of his people. Hear this good news, this, this beautiful passage from Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Hear these truths. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus knows what you're going through but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, here's good news, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have that in our great high priest, Jesus. We don't approach God nervous but rather we do approach him in in reverent awe and fear, a good, healthy fear. We approach him, the author of Hebrews says, with confidence. But how? Why? Why do we approach with confidence? Because of this truth. Jesus, hear this, in this very moment in time is interceding on your behalf. He knows our weaknesses. He knows temptation, and yet he is, the Bible says, without sin. And on the merits of his work, we approach confidently, the author of Hebrews says, the throne of grace. Jesus' intercession means that we can cast aside guilt and shame. And we can boldly worship our Lord. We can worship Jesus. The Bible says this in Romans 8.34, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. There it is, the firstborn of the dead. Who is where? At the right hand of God, who indeed is. Underline this. Who indeed is interceding for us. In this statement, we get we have the picture of Jesus at the right hand of God, praying on behalf of his people, pleading before his Father on our behalf. That's what intercession is. He's interceding on our behalf but he's not only now we're going to look at filling he's not only interceding but he's done this he's loosed god's glory upon creation it's cast it's out there god's glory is everywhere central to jesus's work as we learned last week was the tearing of the temple curtain remember when we talked about that he tore it from top to bottom we often think of that act rightly as the opening of god's presence or the opening of of the presence of God unhindered, right? People can have access to God now. But we should also think of it this way, that God's glory is exploding out of the Holy of Holies. The veil will not hold him back, just as, family, the grave could not hold him. God's glory is and will fill all of creation. All things will be made new. That's the promise of Scripture. We capture a glimpse of this in Mark's telling of the temple cleansing in Mark 11, 17. It says, and, when, and, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, hear this, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. It says, but you've made it a den of robbers. The court of Gentiles, again, is is where the buying and selling was occurring. Israel was to take the glory of God into into all of the world, but they attempted to hold it to themselves, where God had, had made it a point to shine the light of His glory on the nations. That was prophecy in the Old Testament. The temple leaders bought and sold in the place where the Gentiles should have been able to come and pray and worship the one true God. Can you imagine coming to worship God? Imagine coming to worship God in this, in this auditorium and there's animals everywhere. There's commotion. There's people dropping coins and money on the ground. Can you worship in that environment? It's very difficult. That's what was the, the Gentiles were hindered in the area that they were to come and worship God and to pray. All of this commotion is going on. Jesus, in his clearing of the temple, he says this, no more. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. Back to our foundational passage where Jesus is called the firstborn of the dead. He is our cleansing, representing, interceding, and filling priest. In His resurrection, again, firstborn of the dead, He promised the pouring out of His Spirit upon His people. The temple of God in Jesus not only dwelt among us, but now through the pouring out of His Spirit, hear this, Christian, is in you. You are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 God is with us, indwelling us. And so now, what, what do we do? What do we do with this news? As our application for this morning. We respond to Jesus in worship, purifying your heart, and filling creation with his glory. Since the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we've been filled with God's presence. We are God's temple. Jesus has, through his work, he's cleansed us of our sin and he has made us a kingdom and priest, it says. In Revelation 1, 5 to 6, the last half of verse 5 says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, hear this, and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In the same way that that Jesus cleared the temple, we respond to God's salvation. Hear this. This This is what we do with his good news. Jesus has accomplished this. He has saved us. We are covered by his righteousness and we respond to that now with transformed lives. We respond to God's salvation in this way by seeking to cleanse our hearts of all impurity. And we do this not by our own strength, but by the power of God's Holy Spirit that is within us and the grace He has given us through His Word. And we're also not only seeking to cleanse our hearts of sin, but we're also called to Fill the earth with his glory. We fill the earth with his glory by proclaiming the good news about Jesus to those in unbelief. Jesus not only cleansed, but he has sent forth his Holy Spirit to invade the dark recesses of creation and to redeem. Our God is a great redeemer. As God's representatives in creation, we bring his glory to those who are lost and without hope, pointing them to the great high priest, Jesus, who has cleansed us by his blood. He sealed us by his spirit, and he grants us eternal life as the firstborn of the dead. Church, family, this is the task to which we have been called. This is how we respond To Jesus, we worship, hear this, we worship the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with unhindered worship through his priestly intercession. In our blood-bought salvation, we seek by the power of the Spirit and his word to rid our lives of that which defiles us, the, the unclean spirit of the world which seeks to do this, to steal and kill and destroy And we bring forth this message, this good news of Jesus into all the world, thus filling all of creation with God's glory. And so, uh, in just a few moments as our worship band comes back forward and begins to lead us as we respond to this message, one way that we seek to uh, see our hearts cleansed from sin that Jesus gave us in the Lord's Supper. That's what's going on